Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's kind of a wild story. I mean, we know Jesus is, is very earthly. And we also know the season of Epiphany, in the season we're in now, is meant to celebrate his ministry, his teachings, but also his miracles and the way in which he was human in this world, the way he operated on earth. But we also get these moments where he is also bringing to earth a little bit of heaven. It's mystical. It's magical. And that's the story we get today. So let me jump into it and read it again in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. It really is an unbelievable text. I mean, I use that word intentionally. I mean, science cannot explain this. This is Star Wars at its finest. When Jedi die, they magically come back as these figured ghosts. And it feels a lot like that right now. It reads like fantasy. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. That's not what's weird. He transfigures to a white color that you couldn't even bleach something to get it that white. That is weird. Moses and Elijah appear, who are long dead, by the way, That is unbelievable. And I think this matters because it reminds us that in the midst of our everyday lives, our earthly realities, there's more happening than what our eyes can see. Whether we realize it or not, the spiritual is just as active and alive as Jesus is showing off his power here. Just as you live and move and have your being on earth, so is heaven, and they're coming together. Jesus really is revealing a deep secret here that I feel just most Christians conveniently forget. We just all don't ever have this in the front of our minds. And the secret is this. Jesus operates firmly and smoothly in both the spiritual and earthly realms. And if we can attune ourselves to this, eventually we can too. I mean, that's a deep hidden secret of the spiritual life is that you can operate living in both. Do you remember in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in? Yes. What we're getting here is a glimpse into that future in Mark 9. World-famous theologian N.T. Wright says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is like two hands being folded together. The earthly and the spiritual becoming one. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Two becoming one. We really see that in Mark 9 with this story. Which makes me realize that for All of Jesus' ministry, his biggest purpose was to bring a new life within a new kingdom. And you can package that however you want. 
But Jesus comes to bring new life and he comes to bring a new kingdom. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It is really bizarre how often we miss this or it just doesn't sit in the front of our minds because we get so fixated on the earthly part of the two. We believe heaven is real and it happens and something occasionally bumps up against us. It's a thin place every once in a while, but we operate both feet firmly in the earthly world. And we're not the only ones who do this. The disciples do it too. Look at verse 5. Then Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, he didn't know what to say. They were terrified. That's verse 6. He didn't know what to say. They were terrified. That last line gets me. He didn't know what to say. Peter was terrified. But yet, and maybe this is surprising to you or maybe it's not. Peter just said something anyway. He couldn't handle the depth of the moment. So he just started talking. He just kept talking. And look what he says. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In response to the mystical and to the magical, Peter wanted to build. He wanted to occupy. He wanted to dwell. He wanted to do. He wanted to name. And that's not crazy. It's just kind of what earthly people do when they bump up against the spiritual. If Russia wasn't attacking Ukraine right now, I'm not sure I wouldn't see this. But they're trying to occupy Ukraine. Occupying does not bring or create stability when you're trying to live at home and who you are. Mystery does. Wonder does. Awe does. Taking what's not yours to create space to feel comfortable is not what creates a home. Peter doesn't know what else to do, so he wants to occupy the new mystical realm. Let's build and name it. Let's put our mark on the moment. And he just flat gets it wrong. What I wish Peter would have done was just be present. Don't build anything. Open your soul and lean in to the moment. Enjoy it. But he couldn't because he was terrified. He entered the spiritual realm, but he wasn't prepared to see what he saw when he got there. And so he just started speaking and doing. He blew it. There are times when the spiritual realm interacts with us and we're not ready to see it either. We don't really know what to say when we experience it. Oftentimes we're terrified and we just miss the depth of the moment. In our worst, we just blow it. What we shouldn't do is rush into those moments to try to name it or fix it or control it. We need to learn to build the capacity just to sit with awe and wonder.
In order to do this, we're going to need better examples of what that looks like in our life. We need leaders who understand what awe and wonder entail. We need better practices that help us contemplate and to sit with the divine. This is why church matters to the world around it. What other place in your life are you asked to engage in a discipline of silence? True communal spirituality, a shared church experience, should be training all of us to look into the mystery of this world as a community and as an individuals and welcome what we see. We shouldn't look to the future with fear or unease or distrust. That creates an unsettling home for us. We're not at home when we do that. We should take best practices disciplines, and a healthy sense of awe and wonder with us into the spiritual. And then we won't be terrified. And that's where I see people today really struggling. And it's what I really hope for humanity. We need more capacity for awe and wonder. If you wonder about someone, you really can't hate them because you're intrigued about them. If you wonder about someone, you'd lean in to who they are. If you wonder about someone, you take a posture of inquiry and not fear. You enter into the unknown with awe. This is unfair because I don't know any Russians, but how many do you think wonder about the people they're attacking? I wonder that. To see another and to wonder about them, it opens you up to relationships and to mystery and to the spiritual that connects you both. But like the disciples in Mark 9, we aren't trained to do this. It's just uncomfortable to do this. When the spiritual comes crashing in, we don't know what, we just operate out of the resources that we have. And what we have are things to build and things to do and words to say. And just so often, we just miss the moment. We weren't prepared for them. But if we could be, if we could be a people who develop the ability to sit in the awesome wonder of God, to take the spiritual and to let it wash up on the shores of our earthly reality and not feel rushed to name it or explain it or dissect it, then we experience the greatest truths that God has to offer. We would see mystery and we'd fall in love with it, not be terrified of it. I really think if we're going to be a people who are at home, and that's been our sermon series over the last several weeks, how do we feel at home? Then we have to build the spiritual practices and the capacity to experience awe and wonder, and then to fall in love with that engagement. Now, these two thoughts may not seem like they connect to you at all. Feeling at home in your skin, in the body and earthly space that you occupy and inhabit, but then also having this ability to experience awe and wonder. But I promise they're like two hands coming together. I don't think you can be at home without being comfortable with what the spiritual world brings you. You don't get to control it. Don't get me wrong. 
You have no control over what God is ushering into your world, but you can control how you respond to it. It's how Jesus was able to travel between the spiritual and earthly so easily, by the way. And it's how we can too. We have to develop the ability to sit in the unknown and believe that that which emerges is both from God and good for us. To have this discipline, it frees us to love one another because it eliminates whatever fear that we bring with us into the moment. Peter was terrified. He brought that with him into that space. And it was for his detriment and for his harm. We do that too. We are always just like Peter. But we can learn from him too. We don't have to make the same mistakes. Not having the capacity to receive the mystery of the world. It means we close ourselves off from what newness God may have for us. And we just say, what I have in the earthly, well, that's good enough. And when this is the case, when we start getting rigid about what it is that we have, and this is what really defines us, it's really about the way that we worship and our kind of doctrine and our understanding of sacraments and our ecclesial theology. Now, all of that is good, but when it becomes your only good and you no longer are open to the spiritual engaging it, well, then it becomes a problem. It becomes an idol. We become prideful and protective over this kind of stuff and we're only stuck in the earthly. We only care about our buildings and our plans and our ministries and our finances. And this is what matters most to people who have both feet in the earthly world because they're building a nice little nest egg on earth. It's just not at all as it is in heaven. Now, this isn't bad. Don't hear me say it's bad. It's not bad. It's only bad when it becomes the only thing you care about. Your spiritual life has to have both feet in both realms. We have to live with the spiritual. Or we just close ourselves off to it and we're not open to it at all. We have to live in both. We can live in both. Our soul wants to live in both. It wants to connect to mystery and it wants to connect with awe and wonder. It wants to feel at home. And the great irony of ironies is when we plant both feet in the earthly realm, we are as far from home as our soul can be. That seems odd, but it's true. To feel at home, you've got to have both the spiritual and the earthly engaging one another. So do you see the connection now? We must be people who live in a way in which our lives are informed by our experiences in both realms. And that's the problem with Peter. He just can't do it. He can't make the jump into the mystical, into the moment. He just rushes in too quickly with all his earthly resources. He tries to build a building in a mystical space that has no space. That's weird. It's weird because he doesn't know what else to do. He just takes what's his and what he's built and he brings it with him to define what's new. And that's not terrible. It's just short-sighted. 
And honestly, I picture Jesus just looking at this moment like, what more do I have to do? I have bleached myself white and you've missed it. I brought Moses and Elijah back from the dead in some sort of shadowy, weird Jedi move. And you missed it. You just feel Jesus taking this big sigh, knowing that you missed it. He doesn't show the, Peter doesn't show the capacity to sit in awe and wonder. And Jesus is just like, what more do I have to do? So you just hear it in the text, Jesus just sighing. So if you don't believe, maybe you're like, I don't know, Barrett's just talking. He's like Peter up there. If you don't believe your proclivity to the spiritual realm impacts your earthly realm, watch what happens in the text from Mark 9 on. I'm about to read a couple of scenes from Mark 9 and Mark 10 that follow this moment. Peter, James, and John just have this mystical moment of the spiritual, but because they weren't prepared for it, look at the repercussions. Here we go. First, when they come down off the mountain, they come to a scene in which the other disciples are arguing with scribes about what do we do with this possessed little boy? There's a spirit-possessed boy, and we don't know what to do. So Jesus steps in and he heals the boy. But the disciples can't understand what happened and they just start arguing. They're dumbfounded and they start speaking past Jesus and the boy who was just healed. And Jesus just sighs. They can't take their earthly world and allow it to be impacted by the spiritual. This moment could have been so much more, but it's not. Jesus then foretells his death. He does this occasionally. And the disciples, again, they don't understand. They don't understand what he's saying. They just, and they start talking again. They just start rambling on about Elijah and death. And you just feel Jesus letting out another deep sigh. This moment could have been so much more. But they didn't let the spiritual impact their earthly. Then as the disciples walk on, they start arguing amongst themselves over who's the greatest. We all have skills and we're all good, but who's number one? Who's like the best of all of us? There's 12 of us, but clearly I'm a little higher on the totem pole than you are. They start arguing about this and Jesus just sighs. This moment could have been so much more. Earthly people argue about who's best. And they're completely clueless to the spiritual. Then, again, the disciples stumble upon some followers of Jesus who are healing the sick in Jesus' name. And the disciples shut it down. They proudly proclaim back to Jesus, they were trying to act like you, Jesus. So we stopped them. You just see Jesus' eyes jump off the page. Like, my goodness, guys, if they're not against us, they're for us. And he just sighs. This moment could have been so much more. Mark 9 and 10 is what happens when people plant both their feet in the earthly realm. They only develop the resources from the earthly realm. And they use it to respond to the spiritual one. That's not bad. It's incredibly short-sighted. 
Scene after scene, the disciples miss the deeper meaning of what's unfolding. They're in the presence of God, and they miss it. It's because they haven't developed the inner ability to see it. They're not open to the presence of mystery, and that affects things, like the capacity they have for truly being at home. If you're really at home in who you are, you're not competing against others, trying to be greater than them. If you're really at home in who you are, you're not trying to occupy someone else's land on quasi-religious reasons. This is still true today. A true homecoming requires a healthy awareness of the spiritual realm coming to you. It also needs an earthly realm awareness too. We can't be people who plant both feet in the spiritual realm either. We can't live with Elijah and Moses on the mountain. Eventually we've got to come back, but we've got to find a way to bring the two together. And we can if we're rooted deeply on the inside. Spiritually, we feel at home in both the spiritual and earthly worlds. And that's what Jesus is trying to do in this story. He's transfigured the earthly realm, and he's also transfiguring the spiritual realm. He's bringing the two together to create a new home in us. And if we learn to see it clearly, then this will be the beginnings of a true homecoming.